Construction workers used them to build the Great Pyramids, the Eiffel Tower, Brooklyn Bridge, uh, Hoover Dam. Rembrandt used them in order to paint large paintings. George Washington used them in order to move supplies over very, very rugged terrain. And Eli Whitney used them in order to completely revolutionize the cotton industry. Anybody have any idea what them is that I'm talking about? Any guesses? Either here or those of you online, maybe type it in the chat there. Any guess of what is it that builds these massive construction projects and aliens? Bob says, no, it wasn't aliens. Let me tell you what the answer is. The answer is pulleys. Pulleys. Pulleys are things that you're used to, to, to take objects of great weight and have to use a lot less effort in order to pull that great weight. Now, I share that with you here because we're continuing our series on leadership. And what I want to share with you today is that sometimes there's a weight of leadership. There's a heaviness that comes with leadership. But what if there were some pulleys that you could use in order to sort of lift that weight off of yourself as you're leading? And remember this, all of us are leaders. We've discovered that throughout the series. Every single one of us is a leader. Why? Because we all have, right, we all have influence. Every single one of us, I don't care if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you're the, 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 the sports head coach, if you're the CEO of a major corporation or anywhere in between, Man, everybody has influence in some way. And sometimes as you're influencing, sometimes as you're leading people, there's going to be a heaviness, there's going to be a weight, and you're going to need to have some sort of a pulley system that helps to lift that weight, make it a little bit easier to bear. I want to suggest to you that good habits are those pulleys. And so I want to talk to you about three habits today that leaders can have that are going to act like that pulley that's going to make things so much easier when things get tough. Now, are there more habits that leaders need to have than just the three we're going to look at here today? Sure, there are. But I want to look at these three because I think they're going to help you tremendously anytime that weight of leadership is crushing you in some way. And so let's jump right into it. Number one, to be a successful leader, I must get in the habit of being humble. You've got to be in the habit of being humble. Now, let's be honest, none of us are going to get this perfect, are we? I don't care how good of a leader you are, all of us are going to have those times where pride is going to sort of rear its ugly head. I mean, even somebody like Moses, in the Old Testament book of Numbers, because Moses is a great leader, right? In the Old Testament book of Numbers, it says that Moses was the greatest leader, the most humble man who ever lived. That sounds good, right? To be considered the most humble man who ever lived. But even Moses struggled with this thing of pride. Do you know how I know? Do you know how I know? Who wrote the book of Numbers? Moses did. <laughs> Moses just wrote about himself that Moses was the most humble man who ever walked on the planet. So all of us are going to have this issue of pride from time to time and not remaining humble. It reminds me of the old saying, right? That humility is like underwear. You should have it, just don't show it. <laughs> right? right? So, so we, we, need to, we need to remain 
humble. Here's what Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2. He says, pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes what? With humility comes, comes wisdom. Pride isn't an if, it's a when. Because all of us wrestle with this constant battle to elevate ourselves and think more highly of ourselves than what we really should. And that's one thing when it's just in your normal everyday to day life. But as you're out and you're leading, when you have pride, it comes across then when your leader is being, you know, condescending to other people. It comes across as being pompous or arrogant, self-entitled. In other words, all the things that are opposite of Jesus. And of course, Jesus is who we're supposed to be emulating. Jesus was the greatest leader who ever lived. Jesus had more influence than anybody else. But yet Jesus was so humble. We need to practice this in our own leadership as well. Now, I know a lot of people that are like, but Gilbert, I want to come across as a, a strong leader, as a confident leader. I don't want to be seen as somebody that's weak. Well, was Jesus weak? No, of course he wasn't. He wasn't seen as weak. Humility isn't a negative thing. In fact, it's a super positive thing. And for those of us that are followers of Jesus, when you're humble, it's actually a great witness of your faith in Jesus. And besides that, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with showing a little bit of weakness. It's okay to show your weakness. In fact, sometimes God's going to use your weakness in great ways. Paul, who himself was a great leader, at one point he says that, you know what, I, I had this thorn in my flesh. And we're not sure exactly what that thorn in his flesh was. Was it some sort of physical ailment? Was it some sort of, uh, you know, thing he was wrestling with with his leadership, with his character? We're not sure what it was. But he says, three different times I prayed and I pleaded with God, please take this away from me. See, I think he saw this thorn in his flesh as something that was this weight on his leadership that it was bringing him down. And so he's praying and he's pleading, God, please take this away. But I want you to look at God's response back to him. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 to 10. Each time he, meaning God, said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in what? My power works best in, in weakness. Paul goes on and he says, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. And that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am, when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. You know, this is something that I can sort of personally relate to. I've shared with you before, I, I started my first business when I was 16 years old, had great success with that. Second business when I was 20 years old, had great success with that one. And then God calls me into vocational ministry to be, become a pastor. My first church, great success there. Go and then start working for Rick Warren and Purpose Driven Ministries, great success there. Then I get called to go to Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, just an hour south from here, and start a, a contemporary worship service and had great success there. I mean, we grew tremendously, tremendously fast. In fact, I'll talk about that in just a little bit. Great success there. And so when God called me to move to Harrisburg, plan a church, I'm like, Pfft piece of cake. Because I guess I was 37 when God called me to move here. 
And so from 16 to 37, I had 21 consecutive years of just everything I did. Just it was successful. It grew. It, it took off. It was amazing. And I got to tell you, these last 13 years, they've been really, really tough. It hasn't been easy planning a church and getting a church up and running. And I guess it was about 2016 or so, I was just so frustrated with the, the whole thing. It was right around the time that we were getting ready to move over here to the building that I was like, should I even continue to do this? Because we've tried everything. The only thing that hasn't changed is, you know, I, me, I, I could just leave while bringing somebody else in. And that's what is going to be needed. But God said, no, stay. You are the one that I've called to be the leader here. And he said, yes, something needs to change, and it is you, but not you leaving. It's you. It's you. You've got to change. Well, that's a humbling thing, that I can't just stay the same, that something has to change. And what God did through that was three things, really. Number one, he reminded me that when it comes to exponential, I am not at the top of the org chart. I may be the lead pastor, but I still have a leader here. His name is Jesus. And so I don't have to worry about what happens here. That's his job. That's the second thing he reminded me, is that my job is to be faithful. It's his job to be fruitful. Let me say that to you, no matter what area of life you're in, your job is to be faithful to whatever Jesus is calling you to do. It's his job how fruitful that is. See, all those other 21 years of success, I thought that was about me. I thought I had done that. But as I look back on it and then as I started to see what God was showing me, I realized, oh my goodness, look how much God showed up in each and every one of those situations. It had nothing to do with me. That was pride saying that it had to do with me. So my job was to be faithful. It's God's job to be fruitful. And so what did I need to be faithful in? And that's where we made that, that shift about 2016. Because at that point, even though intellectually I said, you know what, it's not about converts, it's about making disciples. Still, that's really what we were trying to do. Just fill it up, have more and more people make a profession of faith in, in Jesus, and then hopefully they stick. But then really what God showed me was, intellectually you understood that, but it's not about just making disciples, it's about doing what? We've been talking about this a lot the last six years. It's about making disciple makers. Our success has nothing to do with how many people show up. Our success has nothing to do if everybody can like quote scripture and all that kind of stuff and just be disciples themselves. No, true success from a biblical standpoint, according to the Great Commission, and we looked at this last week, of what was Jesus' values and his mission and, and, and the vision that he had, that has to do with the Great Commission. Disciples making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And so that was the, the change that had to be made. Again, the change had to happen in my own heart to begin with. And that was hard because I, I realized just how much, like, everything in the past hadn't been about me. 
and that we needed to get back to doing what he called us to do. But I'm glad these last 13 years haven't been easy. Because if not, I would have never have changed, and we would be off track mission-wise had that not happened. Now, I know my story is unique with that, but there are still some things that you can learn from it. And primarily that, that is that no matter who you are or where you lead, you are not the top dog. Jesus is. Jesus is at the top of the org chart. Now, you're going, go where that, that doesn't really resonate with me because I'm not a, a pastor like you are. And, you know, I don't work in a, a church. I work for a, a, a factory. I, I work in a store. I work at an office job. But it does still apply to you. I don't care who you are. Jesus is still at the top of your org chart. You're like, no, the president of my company is. The owner of my company is. No, no, no. Even then, even if they're not followers, Jesus is still at the top of the organization. Here's what Paul writes about that in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Paul writes, work willingly at whatever you do as if though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Let me say that again. You are not working for your boss. You are working for Jesus. Now, you still have a boss there at work, but ultimately, it's Jesus that you're working for. Paul continues on. He says, remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. So again, sometimes when the, the weight of leadership is on you, you're going to need a pulley to help bear that weight. And the first pulley that we've looked at is this pulley of humility. You've got to remain humble. It's got to be a habit in your life. It's going to make your life and leadership so much easier. And God's going to help you to do some things in your life that you never possibly thought you could do. Number two, then. To be a successful leader, I must get in the habit of accepting criticism. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're only leading two people or five people. If you're leading any amount of people, it isn't going to take too long before people start to criticize how you're leading. You ever been there before? That you're trying to lead something, and all of a sudden criticism starts to come your way. And how you handle that says a lot then about your leadership. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, we read, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. You know, in, in 23 years now of being a pastor, I've gotten a lot of criticism for various things. A lot of it's deserved criticism. But here's what I've discovered. It's not necessarily what I say in responding to criticism that matters. It's how I say it that matters. Paul talked in the, the book of Ephesians that, you know, we need to speak the truth but do it in love. And one of the things I've discovered about myself, and maybe you've discovered this as well, is that when you get that initial criticism, right away we want to go into self-defense mode. And the walls go up. And so what I've discovered is it's usually best for me if I don't respond right away. It's usually better if I say, you know what? Thank you for sharing that. Let me think about that. Let me pray about that and then get back with you with a response. Because again, our, our natural reaction is to, 
Just go into self-defense mode. And oftentimes when we go into self-defense mode, we're so emotional that we're going to say things maybe we didn't mean to say or we're going to say it in a tone that we didn't mean to use. And so we've got to be very, very careful about that. And so, again, the best thing I've discovered is say, thanks for sharing. Let me think about that. Let me pray about that. And then I go home and I legitimately think and, and pray about those things. And you know what? Sometimes the Spirit goes, they are absolutely right. You idiot. <laughs> you, you need to change. And then you go back to the person and you make it, make it right or you say, hey, here's the, the steps I'm taking to, to make a, a difference here. Sometimes I'm praying about it and I'm going, God, I'm not seeing it. So what do I do then? Do I just sort of sweep it under the rug? No, I go to Bill, I go to, to Nate, I go to Lisa, I go to others and say, hey, here's, here's sort of what people are saying. What do you think? Sometimes they're like, you idiot? <laughs> Why didn't you get it yet? Sometimes they're like, well, hey, we're not seeing it either. All right? And so now you go and, and you're able to respond to the person. But the initial emotions of the, the moment are gone now. You're able to say, hey, I, I've seen it. Thanks for sharing. Here's the change I'm making. Or, hey, you know, thanks for sharing. And I've talked to some other people that I trust, some wise counselors around me. And they're, they're not seeing it. But we're going to continue to pray about it. Uh, but, but, you know, thanks for, thanks for bringing that up. Now, I know that you're, you're going, okay, Gilbert, that's fine. But isn't there those moments then that you have to sort of respond in the moment? Like there's no choice but to respond to somebody right there in the moment. And you're right. There are those times that those things are going to happen. But again, we need to learn from the model of Jesus. How did Jesus respond in those moments that he had to respond right there in the moment? Well, sometimes he responded, but then sometimes he just absorbed it. Let me talk about each one of those. When Jesus would respond in the moment, usually he didn't defend himself. You know what he did? He, yeah, exactly. It's the same thing we talked about uh, back in the Bridge Builder series. Jesus was a master of asking questions. And in this case, what he was doing was he was using questions to help the other people to see that maybe what they were thinking is faulty. That the criticism that, that, that they're levying onto to Jesus that maybe there isn't really basis in facts behind that. So Jesus, he would ask questions. And so that's what I would encourage you to do as well. Ask some questions to help people see that maybe their criticism is unfounded or based off of some sort of inaccuracy. But then Jesus also had those times that he would just take the shots. He wouldn't even respond. He would just absorb what was going on, and then he'd sort of move on. The most famous example that we have of this is in Mark chapter 15, where Jesus has just been arrested. He's standing before Pilate, and Pilate's asking him all kinds of questions. There's all these accusations that are being made against Jesus, criticisms. And at first, Jesus, he, he responds back. And again, he's asking questions. But Pilate's like continuing on, and Jesus doesn't answer. And Pilate's like, wait a second, don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I have the power to throw you in prison for the rest of your life? Don't you know that I have the, the power to have you executed? Are you not going to answer? And Jesus just stands there in silence. 
And then we read this in Mark 15, 5. To Pilate's amazement, Jesus made no further reply. He just absorbed all the criticism that was coming his way. Why? Why didn't he answer? Well, I think it's actually quite simple. Jesus knew that his mission on the earth had been fulfilled, and the only step left was to go to the cross. And Jesus knew in this moment if he answered Pilate's questions, he would be able to basically talk himself out of it. That Pilate would understand that, okay, these accusations that are being made by the Jews against him, we need to let this man go. But Jesus knew, no, his time had come. The hour was at hand for him to give up his life. And so he decides not to answer in order that the mission might be fulfilled. And that's what I want to say to you. Sometimes in order for the mission to be fulfilled, you've got to sacrifice and you've got to take some things. You've got to absorb some criticism because there's a, a, a greater plan than you just feeling good about yourself in the moment. And that's exactly what Jesus did here. He didn't answer because he saw the bigger picture. You know, I experienced this my, myself. After I left uh, Purpose Driven, I, I thought I was going to go on staff at another big mega church somewhere. And so I was interviewing all over the country for big mega churches. And then this little small church in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, you know, the middle of nowhere, they say, hey, we want to hire you to start a contemporary worship service for us. And I was like, I don't want to be there. You're a church of 300. I'm coming from a church of 25,000. I don't want to be there. It's, you know, small. It was a very traditional church. And they were saying they wanted to do something contemporary, but every traditional church says they want to do something contemporary. But when the rubber meets the road, then they actually don't want to make any of the changes. And so I said, well, you know, I'll come in and be a consultant for you, but I don't want to be on staff. And they said, well, we'll only hire you as a consultant if you'll seriously consider staying on staff at the end of the four-month agreement. And I said, okay, but here's the seven, like, things God would have to do in these four months. And I believe in a big God, but, I mean, this, this would be miracle level if God did all seven of these things in four months. Well, sure enough, all seven things happened. Long story short, we went from 52 people the first weekend I was there as we launched that, all the way to 550 within a two-year period. We had over 300 first-time professions in faith in Christ. We just kept growing and growing and growing and growing. We ended up building a new $7 million facility on the outskirts of town, and we kept growing and growing and growing and growing. You know, the church today down there, I think they're about 1,800 or something like that. Um, it was a move of God unlike anything I've ever experienced. It was absolutely amazing thing to be a part of because we were the talk of the town, both good and bad. Uh, I'll never forget, it was uh, 2008. Uh, that was the first time, I believe, Obama was elected, right? 2008? Anyway, it was, it was his first election. And the lines were incredibly long. I don't know if they were that way in this area, but lines were just like out the door. Usually we would walk into our polling place and you just went in and right back out. We stood in line for like an hour. That's how long the lines were. And so Lisa and I are just standing there and there's these couple of girls that are like three or four people in front of us. 
And I hear the one young girl, she says to another, hey, have you heard about the United Worship Experience? Which is what we called what we were doing. Have you heard about the United Worship Experience? And the other girl's like, yeah, I heard about it. And she's like, man, we should go. I hear incredible things are happening there. I mean, this was a, 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 a revival that was happening in our community. People were talking about it. In line for an election, people were talking about it. Just out of the blue. And so it was so amazing to be a part of. But you know what comes with amazing things that are happening? A lot of criticism. You know who most of the criticism was coming from in our community? It wasn't the community. Take a guess. Who? Other churches. Pastors. I was called all kinds of names. I was said that I was a heretic. I was called a cult leader. And at first, I tried to answer every single one, every email, every social media post that came through, every newspaper article, every TV report that was done, anything that was negative, I tried to respond to it. And you know what that does? Remember what I talked about at the beginning of what happens with leadership? There's a weight of leadership that sometimes is on you. And as great as what God was doing, I was depressed. I was angry. I was hurt. I'm just trying to do things for Jesus. And of all people, pastors, church leaders that are doing this, And eventually, God brought me through a, a season where some of what I talked about earlier, that I had to get to that place of, of being reminded once again, Jesus is in charge here. And it isn't my church, it's his church. And ultimately, the only person that I need to be concerned about their opinion is Jesus. Who cares what everybody else was thinking? And, you know, eventually I did an entire series for the United Worship Experience called Hostage, where I, I talked about that experience that I had. And we did, did a whole, you can still watch the uh, video on YouTube where they're like duct taping me to a chair, like in an attic, right, type thing. And you don't see it at first, you know, but I'm talking about the weight of leadership. And you just keep hearing duct tape. And then it's sort of the camera pans back, and I'm just like, in this chair, duct taped, and I'm struggling, you know, to get out. And when we filmed that, they're like, actually try to get out. And it was hot in that attic when we were shooting that. And I mean, I'm sweating. And I mean, when you're bound like that, it's very, very uncomfortable. It's miserable. And that's where I was emotionally, was I felt bound like that until Jesus set me free. But it was all about I had to learn how to handle that criticism. And there's a lot of lessons I learned from that that still apply to this day. If you send something anonymously, I never get it. So if you've ever sent me anything, I don't know. But if you don't put your name to it, we have people that check these things for me. I've never seen it. So if you want to criticize, have the boldness to put your name to it. Okay? Um, so, again, we, we set up various, various things back then just to help protect because that's especially unfair is 
criticism that, because anybody can just throw out anything they want to say and not put their name to it. But again, even still, uh, there's, there's other things. But I, I want to encourage you with the, the same thing. You've got to learn how to, to take on criticism that, that comes your way and know when to defend and when to deflect. Every relationship in your life isn't going to be easy. There's going to be harsh critics that are going to come your way. And some people just know how to push your buttons, don't they? They know what to say. They know what to do. And Satan wants to use people like that to distract you and deter you from the vision and the mission and the values that we talked about last week that you need to be developing in your own life. So again, another great pulley in your life is learning how to accept criticism and accept it well. Last one then, the last pulley, is to be a successful leader, I've got to let Jesus lead me. You know, the higher you get in an organization, the lonelier it gets, as far as leadership is concerned. Let me explain it this way. If you're in a, a major, like, Fortune 500 company, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of employees that are in the same boat as you. They know what it is to live your life, essentially, from a work standpoint. There's less people then that know what it means to be a manager. There's less people then that know what it means to lead a division. There's less people then that know what it means to sit on the board. But then there's only one person that knows what it is to have the weight of being the CEO of that particular corporation. One person and one person only. And so the higher you climb, so to speak, the lonelier it gets. There's only one person that knows the weight of being the coach of a professional you know, football team, let's say. There's only one person that knows the weight of being the lead pastor of a church. So the, the, the higher, the higher you, you, you get, the, the lonelier it gets as well. The bigger your influence is, the less people are going to understand everything that you face on a daily basis. Again, there's only one person that knows some of the things that you experience in your leadership. And so that's why it's so important that you're always having Jesus leading you. Because Jesus is the ultimate model. There's only one person who ever qualified to die for the sins of the world. Only one person knew the weight of that. And that's the biggest weight of all time. So only Jesus can relate to you, and no matter what it is that you're going through, you always know Jesus is able to relate. Jesus had the most influence and the biggest platform ever. And so he knows uniquely what it is that you're going through. And so you've got to turn to him in all the places where you're leading, whether it's where you live or where you work or where you're playing. And this is why spending time with Jesus every day in the Word is so important. You've got to read the Word every single day so that Jesus is speaking to you. It's in the Word here that we find practical next steps for our leadership. It's in the Word here that we find how do we get out of those lowest valleys that we're going through. But then we also hear from Jesus through his voice, his still small voice, the, the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us through prayer. But, you know, here's the problem with prayer. Most of the time when we pray, we do a lot of talking, don't we? God, give me this. God, help my friend with that. 
God, heal my mom, my dad, my aunt, my uncle, my coworker. Heal them from this particular, you know, woe that they're going through right now. And there's nothing wrong with praying for those things. But we do so much talking in prayer that we forget that it's actually a lot about listening. That we've got to listen more than we talk. I mean, imagine for those of you that are married. Imagine that if your spouse did like all the talking and you never ever got to talk. And they're like, do this for me and do that for me and do this. And, and they never stopped and shut up and listened to you a little bit. Hey, I've got some things on my heart that I'd like to share. You'd be like, mm, this is a weird relationship. Well, that's how God feels when you just keep, yep, 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 yep. Again, please talk to him. But also make sure you're taking those times just to be still and just to listen for his still, small voice. Psalm chapter 46, verse 10. God says this to us. Be still and know that I am God. And so today as we wrap up, that's what we're going to do. This is an exercise that we've actually done a, a couple times here recently. Uh, at Exponential, we hosted a, uh, a one-day sort of workshop uh, about two months ago for pastors and church leaders. And we did this exercise of being still and listening for the voice of God. And then last week, we were just away at our annual uh, Eastern Regional Church of God conference, and we did this same exercise. We're going to take some time here, and I preached a little shorter today, so we had time to do this. We're going to take some time just to be still just to be quiet, just to listen for God's voice. Now, let me just say this. This is prayer time, but this is not the time for you to talk. This is the time for you to be quiet and listen. Just be still, just be quiet, just listen. God, speak to me. And maybe he's going to speak to you a word or a scripture or a color. Maybe he puts the name of somebody in your mind. And if you're going to do any talking at all in the midst of this, it's going to be, God, why did you do that? What is it that you want me to do with this name, this picture, this scripture, this word that you've given me, this song that you've put in my head? What is it that you're asking me to do as a result of this? Now, here's the deal. Because our society, we're so go, 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 do, 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 do. This is going to be awkward. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's going to be awkward over the next couple minutes because we are just not used to being still and being quiet. So just throwing that out there, right? It's going to feel a little weird because we're not used to it. But just try it. Please just try it. And be respectful of those around you. So don't get up and start moving. Don't, like, you know, um, you know don't start nudging you know, the person next to you or, or whatever. Just be still. Let's just be quiet for a couple minutes. Can we do that? All right. So take some time. Just be quiet. Listen for the voice of God.
Jesus, we thank you that you speak to us, not in a loud, booming voice, but in your still, small voice. Father, I pray that if your spirit has revealed anything uh, to us here in these last few moments, that we would be obedient to whatever next step it is that you'd have for us to take. Jesus, thank you that you gave us the the model for what to do when we feel the weight of leadership in our lives. Jesus, help us to remain humble. Help us to know how to handle criticism. Most of all, help us just to spend more and more time with you. To listen to what it is that you'd have for us to do to be the leaders that you've called us to be, to influence those that are all around us. Lord, help all of us to be reminded of what I said earlier, that we just need to be faithful to what it is that you've called us to do and then let the fruit up to you. Lord, we want to be, we want to bear much fruit in our relationships and in our companies or wherever it is that we may lead. So just help us to take those next steps to be faithful, whatever that may be, no matter how scary it may be, no matter how much courage we may need in order to take that step. Help us just to be obedient to it, to be the leaders that you've called us to be so that we can honor you and and glorify your name. Jesus, thank you for being the example, showing us the way, so now we can in turn show others the way as well. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you guys, but, uh, you know, anytime I do something like that, it takes me just a, a minute or two just for my brain to sort of shut off, and I'll just be honest with you today. I guess because of just, you know, I'm in the midst of working right now. It was hard for me to, to shut off my brain in that five minutes or so that I, I gave you. Usually if you want to do this type of exercise at home, it's best to take maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes to do. We just did that uh, recently at the, uh, at the annual conference. I think we gave everybody 20 minutes uh, to do it. But it was so cool to hear some of the stories then of how God spoke to people during that time. And then even how, as we can started comparing stories, how some of those things, it was like a lining up, and you're like, wow, the Spirit of God really is in this place, and aligning uh, things up. So that, that's a really cool thing. So again, I would encourage you to make this a part of your regular time uh, with God, that every day spend a little bit of time listening, but maybe once a week or so, that you would take an extended 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, just to listen uh, to His voice. Uh, this week, I'm actually going away. I'll be away for a couple days for a retreat, and like I'm going to take like a half a day just to do this thing, just to listen for his voice. God, what is it that you'd have for me to do? Um, so be praying for uh, me, and there's a, another pastor friend of mine that we're uh, going to be doing this together. 
And so I'll pray for us as we uh, go away and, and uh, have a time like that. So, again, I hope you find this exercise uh, something that you're able to incorporate into your devotional life uh, going forward.